this morning, I'm really excited to share with you the fifth and final fabulous, valuable verb out of Romans 8, 29, and 30. This last term is the word glorified. Now, I will tell you, I spent uh, most of one morning just trying to find the best definition of this term that I could find. What does it mean to be glorified? Since there was that point in time, if you are a Christian, where the Lord saw you in eternity past, and he appointed all these things unto you, causing them to happen with greater impact in the future. The very last thing he did was to glorify you. The best definition I could find is found in the Bible, surprisingly, in Jude 24 and 25. Here it is. Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before, before all time and in the present and beyond all time. A couple of quick comments uh, on this passage. He begins by saying, identifying God is as the one who is able to keep us from falling away. That term falling away doesn't mean keep us from sinning or keep us from tripping up. It means to keep us from denying him. Our God, who is able to keep us from denying him, will one day present us, bring us into his glorious presence with great joy, and we will be there without a single fault. So here's what glorified means. Glorification is the removal of sin from the Christian Sin nature, sin from the Christian to present him into the kingdom of God. That is to be glorified. When I was a kid, if you went to the uh, theater or, or a ball game of some sort, you would always go and purchase a ticket. It was always you know, about that long, rectangular shape, usually red in color. And you would take that ticket and you would stand in line to see the gatekeeper. That's what we called him, the gatekeeper. 
He was a guy that sat on a stool. Everything else was blocked off. You would buy your ticket and then get in line to see the gatekeeper. The gatekeeper had a punch, a hole punch. And so you would give him your little red ticket and he would punch it. And then you would be able to go into the game or the theater knowing you paid because you didn't just have a ticket, but you got your hole punched. That's glorification. Glorification is the gatekeeper into the kingdom. Glorification is where we are stopped, sin nature removed, and be brought into the kingdom of God. Glorification is our punch ticket into the kingdom. Please don't remember, don't forget, please do remember that glorification is again a part of these five verbs all in the aorist tense. Please don't forget this. So what we know is that is that God foreknew us, he predestined us, he called us, he justified us, and now he's caused us to enter the kingdom. There is absolutely no reason if you are a born-again follower of Jesus for you to ever doubt that you're going to heaven. God has already spoken it as a done deal. The application or the implication of it will take full force at death and entrance into heaven. Let me just read again our passage. Romans 8, 29. For whom God foreknew, he also then predestined. Point caused it to happen. Point caused it to happen. Those he predestined, he also called. It happened, justified, and glorified. That's why all of these terms are in the English past tense. Because they've happened. But the full force of their happening has yet to be seen in our lives. Make sense? Hold on to that truth. Now, the doctrine of heaven is indeed one of the most awe-inspiring, hope-filled, joyful doctrines there are in the Scripture. The doctrine of heaven. Now, most of what we know about heaven is found in uh, Revelation 21. But the point I want to make before we go to the text is this. 
The doctrine of heaven is only joy-filled and faith-inspiring if you get your information from the Scripture. In 2014, Rolling Stones magazine interviewed Stephen King, the author. King, who spent his life writing about death, was asked by the interviewer, do you hope to go to heaven when you die? King responded, I don't want to go to the heaven I learned about as a kid. To me, it would be boring. The idea you're going to lounge around on a cloud all day and listen to guys playing harps. I don't want to listen to harps. I want to hear Jerry Lee Lewis. Well, unfortunately and unbelievably, that is the most common sentiment in this world about heaven. Why would anybody want to go? It's so boring. You float around on clouds and play harps. Yeah. King said, I don't want to go to, to the heaven I heard as a child. Fine then. Study it as an adult and learn what it is before making crude comments like this. How many things do you believe today as an adult that you believed as a child? That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I understood as a child, I spoke as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became an adult, I did what? Put away childish things. Come on, Stephen King. <laughs> Put away childish things. And I will tell you this. Anyone you talk to, anyone you come in contact with about heaven, and they have that mindset about it, they are spiritually infants. So then... In contrast to Stephen King's comments, Randy Alcorn, who is one of my favorite authors and has written and studied and written more about heaven than anyone I know. And in his book entitled Heaven, he writes, All our lives we've been dreaming of the new earth. Whenever we see beauty in water, wind, flower, deer, man, woman, or child, we catch a glimpse of heaven. Just like in the Garden of Eden, the new earth will be a place of sensory delight, breathtaking beauty, satisfying relationships, and personal joy. We will, live in a, we will not live in a sterile environment or float about endlessly on clouds with nothing to do. We will live on an all-new earth just like this one except free from storms, earthquakes, droughts, floods, pandemics. Things will grow easily and weeds and thorns will not exist. Animals will not harm us but will rather look to us benevolently as their leaders and their benefactors. Now, what do we really know about 
heaven. Well, turn with me to Revelation 21, and we will begin looking at what awaits us in the kingdom of God. Revelation 21, verses uh, 1 through 3. And again, John is writing uh, with this vision that God has given him, and he says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Three quick points I want to uh, bring before you about heaven out of the passage we've just read. First of all, John says that he sees a new heaven and a new earth. This term new means different. Not just, not just this world changed a little, but something completely different. A new earth and a new heaven. So then what happened to the first earth, this earth, and the first heaven. Well, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 13, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with uh, fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons you ought to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which Righteousness dwells. Now, take note. In chapter 20 of Revelation 11 through 15, this cataclysmic event where God will set fire to the earth, this earth and this heaven, and then will recreate another... This will not take place until after the great white throne judgment. Look in 11 through 15 of chapter 20, Revelation. He he said, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. Again, that same uh, thought. And I saw the dead and small standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, 
and they were judged, each according to his works. And then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So we know this, that this event of God setting fire to the first earth and the first heaven and recreating them is an event that will take place only after the tribulation, after the millennial reign of Christ, after the final dispensing of Satan, and then after the great white throne judgment when earth and heaven will, will flee. And then the creation of the eternal earth and the eternal heavens. He said, I saw a new city. He also spoke about the new city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. You know, <clears throat> I was so nervous and scared when, when Pam and I got married. We were in the Philippine Islands uh, where our parents were missionaries and uh, I, I didn't know a soul and um, I, I have very little memory of, of our wedding. However, I will never forget my daughters. We were at First Baptist in Pampa and we had built this uh, bridal center. This I really don't know what it was, but is that what it was called? Bridal Suite. And uh, they just finished it, and my daughter was the first one ever to use it. <clears throat> and so we were getting ready for me to walk her down uh, the aisle. I, I had had neck surgery, so I still had a neck brace on. And the picture of her stepping out of that bridal suite is an image I will never forget. And I just imagined the glory of that day, the new Jerusalem coming down in its full glory. Every woman is at her zenith on her wedding day. And that's what it, it's how it's described. Then thirdly, there is a mention in verses 1 through 3 that when John saw the new earth, that in the new heavens, there, were no, there was no more sea. I've shared this in a uh, funeral message, I think, before, but what did John mean? Here is, here is John. He has been, he was, he's been banished by the government to this little isle called Patmos. And it was said that on a clear day, John could stand on the edge of Patmos and see across the a uh, little straight, the sea there, to the mainland. Just right there, close to where John was, was the city of Ephesus. John pastored the church in Ephesus for many years. But now he's been banished to this isle, apart from everyone else. But sometimes on a clear day, it was said that you could see across that 
little space of sea. And he could get a glimpse of people that surely he knew. Maybe family, parishioners, people he longed to see. And so it's likely that because we know the river of God is in heaven, so it's likely that what John saw really had nothing to do with water. What John saw were the reuniting of loved ones. What he saw was a heaven filled with people who have died and gone on to be with the Lord and the reunion that takes place in a kingdom. <clears throat> Sometimes it's easy when you think about God doing something in your life in eternity past and it, it's supposed to affect me now. Sometimes we wonder, is he going to remember me? Is my name down somewhere so I won't be forgotten? There's a place called Heart Island. It's just right off Long Island. Nobody lives there, but it's filled with over a million bodies. They dump people there who die penniless. Homeless people. And recently, COVID-19 deaths. Over a million people on this island with no gravestone. But in the middle of the island, there's this large white cross. And on that large white cross are these words. He knows us all by name. He knows yours.